This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. Hey, what is up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for the conversation we have today because as you guys know, I have a book coming out in about a month and I have been diving into this world. And let me tell you, like, if you aren't prepared, if you don't know the right way to write, if you don't know the right way to get connected, you are so out of fact. So I'm so excited for the guests we have with us today. We have Robin Colucci with us, who is going to tell us everything we need to know about writing a book, connecting with the right people and writing a book that matters. So Robin, thank you for hanging out with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. I'm very excited to talk with you today. Yeah. So you actually have a very interesting background, which involves a little fitness and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'd like to find out, like, how did you get into this whole publishing world? Yeah, it's funny because it was kind of like a river that seemed like it was going one direction and then it made a hard turn and went fully circular, right? So As life often does, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> and it is interesting because when I reflect back on it, I realized that every single element was essential, right, to mm-hmm. my being able to do what I do today and at the level that I do. And I always like to say that because I think sometimes when we're in it, we just think we're lost. (laughs) I mean, I I had a lot of those moments, right? Well, and I think too, one of the tough things as well is, and I feel like this is another book reference, but we often end up comparing our chapter one to somebody else's chapter 50. And we have that reflect to how we're feeling about everything. Right, exactly, exactly. We think I'm never going to get to that chapter. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I mean, from an early age, I was always interested in writing. I remember trying to write before I could read. I would just scribble because I wanted to express myself that way. And was very interested in creative writing, wrote a lot of poetry. When I went to college, I majored in journalism because my mother said, you should major in journalism. That way you can get paid to write. Which at the time in 1980... Well, your mom had better advice for you than me then. My mom's like, you should get a master's degree in history. That's really valuable. So I did. And nobody hired me. (laughs) (laughs) I have friends with advanced degrees in history. So I know how you feel from talking to them. But And really at the time, it was, you know, becoming a writer was kind of like getting ready to be on the verge of homelessness for the rest of your life. And I also was always interested in journalism. I remember when all the presidents met when that book came out and just being so inspired by Woodward and Bernstein. And I, Barbara Walters was a big idol of mine growing up. So I was like, okay, I'll try journalism. And I did. Got my degree in journalism. While I was in school, I worked part-time at the Washington Post as a news aide. And that was fascinating because I got to see the inner workings of a really top-notch newspaper and their team. And it was fascinating and fun and fulfilling. And then as I got close to graduation, the chairman of my department called me into his office and said, hey, I've recommended you for a job. And it's with the New York Times bestselling author. And if he offers you the job as his research assistant and editorial assistant, you should leave the post to take it. Wow. It's like, really? Because I was writing some freelance articles for the post and getting paid pretty well and having fun. 
He's like, just go with an open mind. So I did. It turned out that the author was a man by the name of David Wise, who was at the time one of the world's top experts in espionage in the Cold War. Oh, and had written. Yeah, he'd written the that very- That stuff is wildly interesting to me. Like, I'm always like, I've read like Tom Clancy. I've dived deep into that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you would love his stuff. I mean, most of what he wrote was nonfiction. And we did three books in three years. The first was finishing up his spy thriller novel, his third spy thriller novel called The Samarkand Dimension. The second was revising a political science textbook that he co-authored that was the number one selling intro to poli-sci textbook in the United States for decades. And the third book started out as a New York Times magazine cover piece. And this is where, this was the first time I was working with him on a book that started as just a seed of an idea. Mm. And that book ended up having the same title as the article, which is The Spy Who Got Away, about Edward Lee Howard, who had been slated to be the CIA lead in Moscow, had been pulled and fired at the last minute before they sent him, became disgruntled, sold secrets to the Russians, you know, out of spies that were working on with the CIA, at least one of which was executed for it. Well, that's wild. And then- We've had Frank Fugluzzi on the show. He used to be in the FBI. I think he works for MSNBC now. But he worked under, I forget the guy's name, but he was the guy that was like a spy in the FBI for many, many years and nobody had any idea. Yeah, actually, David wrote a book about him too. But that was after I I I no longer worked with him. But yeah, so then Ed Howard escaped and fled to Moscow while he was under FBI surveillance. While they were watching, he literally like ducked out of his car using the tactics that the CIA taught him to evade surveillance and fled to Moscow. And so after the article came out, he realized that there was so much there. He wanted to do a book. And so that's where I started to really get my education in traditional publishing and how it works because Mm -hmm. he called his agent. His agent came down to DC. They met, talked about it. Then the agent sold, you know, pitched the different publishers, ended up selling it to Random House. And this is back when I still went to the library to do research. We didn't have an internet yet. And so the editor from Random House came down to DC on a few occasions and worked on the book with David. And my job was to do research and help him organize stuff and keep things going. And he also had me do some editing. And it was fantastic. But the real reason I thought I was there was that after the three years and the three books and three years, his commitment to me was that he would get me a job as a newspaper reporter, which he did. And it was at a mid-sized paper in Central Florida. And it took me about When you say week. Central Florida, do you mean like Orlando, Ocala? Like where are we yeah, talking? Area. Yeah, like the area, a little more coastal. Okay. I'd rather not say who because I'm not going to say nice things. <laughs> totally, totally. No worries at all. But it was not a good experience. It was very different than what I used to at the Post Mm. in terms of just the whole approach to news and to reporting. And the culture was really tough. It was weird. By then, it was like 1986 or 89 because I'd been with David for three years. And it felt like I went back into like 1956. Oh, wow. Like the level of racism that was there and inequities. And it was just hard because I had been in DC in a very diverse kind of community. And it was just weird to be down there with literally where there was like 
one side of the tracks and the other side of the tracks. And wow, the west side of the tracks away from the beach was where the lower income people of color lived. And a lot of times they didn't have electricity or even running water, even though the rest of the town did. And things like that. Sounds like you may not have hung out here that long then, based on the experience. (laughs) There you go. And I thought, oh, this is, I'm done with this publishing stuff. Mm. I don't like this. I didn't like the job because the hours were terrible. I was making $300 a week, working six days a week, and I'd have to come in early to write my stories from the night before, and I'd be covering city council meetings till 10 at night. And it just took over my whole life for like no money. So I wanted out of publishing I moved to Colorado because it wasn't Florida, and the guy I was with got into grad school out there, and I'm like, fine, Colorado. I go out there, and I didn't know what I was going to do because I got offered a job at the Rocky Mountain News, and I turned it down because they wanted me to do part-time night cops. And I was like, no. Oh, that's tough. (laughs) That's really tough. So don't sleep and write articles people may not read. That doesn't sound like my idea of fun. Exactly. And right. And just cover the things that they report every night on the local news that you can't stand to watch because it doesn't really add to anybody's life to know, you know. Yeah, I've kind of taken away from watching nighttime news because I'm in the New York area. So I've kind of taken away from watching like nighttime news. Something in your house could kill you. News at 11. Okay. Wow. I'm excited to watch the news. Exactly. So I just wasn't into that. And I turned down the Rocky Mountain News, which David was not too thrilled with me for that. But anyway, he got over it. But so I went, I started waiting tables. Mm. I just was like, clean slate. And while I was doing that, I met a gentleman who wanted to be a personal fitness trainer. And he had showed me some before and after pictures. And he's like, yeah. And I said, oh, my God, these are great results. Why don't you have clients? And he says, well, I, I don't know. Nobody's hiring me. And I said, I can get you clients. Well, 10 years later, <laughs> we had built, well, we'd gotten married and had two kids and we had built a personal fitness training business. It was one of the first exclusively personal fitness training studios, definitely in the Denver metropolitan area, probably everywhere but California. And we did very well. And we went from working out of like sneaking into the rec center <laughs> And training clients, trying to look like we're not training clients, all the way to having our own commercial location in a really great area of Denver. And everything was turnkey. I had everything systematized and it was just plug and play. And then I was like, wow, this has been fun. This is not my calling. And I wasn't sure what my calling was, but I knew it wasn't that. And that ended my marriage because he liked it with me running the business. (laughs) And so that was. That that makes sense. If it's a drastic life change like that, that can cause a shift like that. Yeah. I mean, it was like he liked that we were focusing on. And I just said, look, this is your dream. It's not my dream. It's ready to. All you have to do is keep running it. I'll be here to advise, but I need this space. Mm -hmm. And I got it. (laughs) So, (laughs) and then I wasn't sure what to do, but I thought, well, maybe I could be a business coach for wellness professionals. And so. I went to the University of Santa Monica, which has a spiritual psychology program. And it was there that I learned some very important skills that I use in my work today, like listening when someone's sharing something with you, not just for what they're saying, but what's underneath what they're saying, or what are they really trying to communicate with the words they're using? Because it's often different. And listening for those differences and learning how to ask open-ended follow-up questions to help them excavate their true 
message and what they really That's a are. really excellent point, by the way, because if you look at a lot of good interviewers, they could care less about the first question they ask. That's kind of the thing to tease out the question they really want to ask. Like the follow-up question is actually the most valuable part of a conversation. Exactly. And what I find so fulfilling is when asking a question actually helps my client understand their own work better mm. and understand themselves better. And they often or communicate the value of what they're bringing mm -hmm. better. So I did that training two years. It was a master's program. So I completed that and got my master's degree thingy. And then I was going to be a business coach for wellness professionals. So I started to do that. And my clients actually got the one quick story I'm most proud of is a woman had an anytime fitness franchise. She was on the verge of bankruptcy. I worked with her for three months. And by the end of our time together, she was able to sell that franchise for $60,000. Wow. And did not declare bankruptcy. So that was cool. But an interesting thing started to happen. Some of my clients started to say, well, you know what I really want to do is write a book. Ha! You can't run away from it. There it is. There it is. And that's what I mean. It was like this river going this one direction. And then we just did this big Yui, you know. It's really interesting because like when you're meant to do something, it's not going to leave you alone. It will stalk you and stare in your windows at night. <laughs> yeah. And so I started to help a couple of people do that. And, you know, one of them did a really great self-published book. Another one got a book deal with Wiley for her dating and relationships book. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how fun this is. I love this. And during that time, I also got a part-time position as an acquisitions editor at a small independent publishing house in Colorado. And this is, I'm going to stop my background story because this is really the last piece, is <laughs> that I would get these proposals from people who clearly had wonderful value to share and just as clearly had no idea how to position it or how to communicate that value to a publisher. Mm -hmm. And because my job was to go through the stack, my job was not to help them figure it out. I was unable to help them. And I realized that instead of being a business coach for wellness professionals, I needed to be a book coach for subject matter experts to help them position their work so that publishers could appreciate the value that they could share in a book. And that was, you know, I'd already been coaching people for about six years before I really nailed that down. And so that was in 2009 that I made that revelation, but I'd already been a book coach for about seven years. So let me ask you this, Robin, because one of the things I think that's really unique in your background is actually the journalism aspect. And I'm curious, how do you feel like your training and your work in journalism has affected how you look at a book? Like, has that affected it at all? Incredibly so. And actually, this is the thing my team's always telling me, you're the best at this. This is your zone of genius. I think that it's because as a journalist, you have to be able to hear the hook, right? Mm -hmm. So you're sitting in a four-hour-long city council meeting, and you got to walk out of there and write a story. <laughs> you have to train your ear for what in this is going to be interesting to my reader. Where does all the stuff that's happening in this room have the most relevancy to the real life of my reader? And so I'd have to do that for every single thing I covered and just be listening for that hook. And that's what I'm doing when I'm helping a client come up with a clear saleable concept for their book, or even as we're writing, you know, sometimes I hear that little thing and I'm like, wait, wait, what's that? And then 
that's a little vein of gold, I can tell. And I ask a few follow-up questions you were just talking about. And journalism teaches you how to sniff that stuff out. And if you do it over and over and over again, day after day, you just learn how to spot those things. It's really interesting because I know like for me, as I mentioned, my background's in history. So like when I'm looking at telling a story or interviewing somebody, I've written extensively and stupidly long papers on Dante and things like that. So like when I'm telling someone's story, I look at it differently. So I think the viewpoint and how you look at a story is actually really valuable. And I think that's the thing a lot of people miss is the right viewpoint when they're starting out. Yeah, it is because a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that like the even the proposition of have you thought about writing a book, their first thought is that they're supposed to, somebody's asking them to write a memoir, right? Or mm-hmm. like a story of my life or Yes. And really and that's, that's like everybody wants to write, but I don't think it has a ton of value unless like, you know, you survived some major tragedy or something. Well, and even then, probably other people have survived a similar tragedy and already written a memoir. So it's a tough thing. And what I often encourage people to do is say, you know, what if this wasn't a memoir? Like, okay, you've been a very successful person. What are some of the key principles that you have utilized consistently over the years that made you successful? Right? Or what is a theme in your life that you could maybe share some value with your ideal reader that could help them get more out of their life. And the beautiful thing about that is when you do that, when you change that focus, and I've seen this happen with so many of my clients, they still get to tell all their favorite stories. (laughs) It's just the right viewpoint. It's coming into it with the right viewpoint. Right. It's just, but you don't have to do it in a three act arc where you have to have all this stuff going on in a narrative plot line, which Mm -hmm. is one of the more difficult models of a book structure to execute is a full length narrative. I think that's one of the tough things for people to get over, though, because I think a lot of times, unless you're an A-list celebrity, you may be a nice person, but people don't really care, right? Like, it has to be positioned in the right way, like you're talking about of teachable concepts, because sure, you may have a great life story, but people don't know who you are. So that relevance affects how you tell your story. Exactly. I have a great example. I had a client, Tom Panaggio, great guy. He and his brother had co-founded a direct marketing company and they went from like zero to 35 million in 10 years. I mean, so very smart guy, terrific. You know, they'd sold out. He wanted to do some consulting, you know, for corporate and for startups as well. And so, you know, he came to me, bless his heart, with 40,000 written words of his story of how he and his brother grew their business. And it was really boring. And I looked it over, you know, we got on the phone and I said, Tom, I have some bad news. And he's like, what? I said, you need to start over. And he was a good sport. He's like, okay, what do you propose? And I explained to him what you just said. It's cool. You've had an interesting life, but you're not, at the time, I think Lee Iacocca's book was really big. So I'm like, you're not Lee Iacocca. (laughs) You're not the head of Chrysler Mm -hmm. or something. Nobody cares because they don't know who you are. So I started asking him questions, you know, tell me more about yourself and what do you think made you successful? And he started to tell me, you know, what are your hobbies? He started to tell me his hobby oh, that's was cool. amateur race car driving. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Right. And so we talk a little bit about that. And then he's like talking about, so, well, what do you think of some of the things that made your business successful? And he goes, well, and he just like rattled off this one thing and it's, well, you know, risk and opportunity are soulmates. And I'm like, excuse me. And he said it again. And I'm like, yeah, I said, hmm. And now I'm thinking, so this guy's a risk race car driving because right. amateur race car driving is not for the wimpy scaredy cats. 
right? So I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, the biggest boost that we had in our business was when we took like pretty big, you know, calculated, but big risks. I said, well, that's an interesting idea. So while we're talking, I start searching Amazon for business and risk. And this is like 2013 or something, maybe even 2011. At this time, every book about business and risk Mm, was about how to avoid it. Yes. About how to protect your business from risks. And so I said to Tom, I said, what if you wrote a book about embracing risk in your business. And he loved it. And we ended up with the title, The Risk Advantage, Embracing the Mm. Entrepreneur's Unexpected Edge. And he used that book to be able to do what he wanted to do next, which is he got some speaking gigs at some of the bigger Fortune 500 companies. And he also worked with SBA and just coached young entrepreneurs. And that's what he wanted to do with it. That's why he wanted to write it. And he was really proud of it. And, you know, he's helping people with it. And he got to tell every story that he wanted to, but in a much more engaging and relevant way, a way that was relevant to the reader. Well, Robin, let me ask you this, because I think that kind of raises a good point. Like, how important is a book for opening kind of that next phase of opportunity, right? Like, you mentioned what he really wanted to do. And when I look at it, like, for me, like, the reason I wrote a book, it took me five years to get there, like, wasn't because, oh my gosh, I need to write a book. Like I should just write a book. It was like, okay, so my brand is here and I know that the right content told the right way is going to help my brand get here. So I guess where does that fit in terms of the strategy of your next step? Yeah, I think that it's, you want to write a book that pulls you in the direction that you want to go next. So it shouldn't only be a chronicle of where you've been. Your concept should also align with where you're going. And acknowledging where you've been, but really about where you're going. And I think that you, the way you phrase the question also raises a very important point that most people still kind of intellectually understand, but I don't think they really take seriously yet, which is that the value proposition of writing a book and getting it out in the world, and this is whether you self-publish or get a traditional book deal, the ROI of the entire process comes through Number one, that you become better at communicating the value. Now, this doesn't happen if you write a book in a weekend or you do the 90-day right. crap. This is when you're really doing an inquiry. It kind of has a like a personal development value to yourself and actually putting it together. Exactly, exactly. I always say the book is the equivalent of like holding the diploma that says you're a PhD, but writing the book is the program <laughs> that needs yeah, yeah, you to worthy of it, right? The book is only evidence that you've had a transformation. It's not the transformation. And I think people who rush the book process are getting that confused. And so if you take the time, like there is no shame in taking five years to write your book. I mean, our clients would kill us. Well, it took me five years to confront it and then two (laughs) years to actually write it. I wrote the first manuscript and I'm like, this is horseshit. So Mm -hmm. I threw it out and wrote the second manuscript. (laughs) But it's better then taking the first one, slapping a cover on it and calling it good, right? Yeah, because it wasn't. <laughs> right, exactly. And it is a discovery process. And I also think people underestimate the value of getting the book into the right hands. You don't yeah. have to sell millions of copies for the book to change your life. If you get the book into some highly targeted, proper hands, 
you can change your life with your book, Yes, you know, probably giving away three copies if you really wanted to. Now, and I think it's just about understanding what is the purpose for the book in your life and creating your book promotion plan accordingly. Don't feel like you have to sell tens of thousands of copies of your book if you're in a highly niched area of business where you only need three clients a year because they're going to give you a million dollars a piece. Well, maybe, you know what? A bestseller isn't a big deal to you. Maybe it's about really curating the right list and getting personal introductions and then tastefully, graciously giving one of your books to somebody who's highly qualified. I really invite people, get your ego out of it. Forget about all the bestseller status because right now almost The only one that really can't be hacked still is the New York Times, so it doesn't have as much meaning anyway. But it's about what role could the book play in your life, in your business, with your brand, and what activities are you already doing that you could do better with a book? And here's another great question to ask yourself. And what activities do you know you should be doing that you might feel more motivated or they might feel easier to do with a book, like getting speaking gigs, like doing podcast interviews, right? When you have a book. Well, like even I have friends at the honorarium they get for their speaking gigs has doubled, tripled three times from having a book that's well-known. Yeah, exactly. So I always say plan your book promotion strategy in connection and in conjunction with your business promotion strategy, because if you make it a separate thing, you will never promote your book because you won't have time. Unless you're yep. like independently wealthy, you won't have the resources either. So Robin, let me ask you this. You've helped so many people put together their books. And in fact, in the last two years, you have a 100% success rate in helping people place their books with the right agents to go on and secure the deal. Yeah. What is the thing that when you're talking to clients kind of horrifies you that you have to get them to not do? <laughs> what just one <laughs> well maybe multiple but like what are those couple things that you look at and you're like oh god don't do that <laughs> yeah one of them is like going to a trade show and putting a big pile of books on a table and with a sign that says take one. Oh no yeah because that really devalues the book and doesn't send the right message to your potential reader. And most people, even if they take one, they won't read it. So I think it's more important that people actually do invest something to have your book or that it's given to them with a sense of honor and like a specialness. Oh, here's my big cringer though. This one really gets me. Well, you know, a book is just a big business card. Oh, I hate that one. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, anytime someone says that, I have a very standard follow-up, which is, Mm -hmm. And can I just ask you something? And they're like, yeah. I said, how many business cards have you taken to bed? Yeah, that might be an awkward experience. I can't think of, you know, all the business cards I've ever collected going to my bed. That's just kind of weird. Right? Yeah. And now how many books are by your bedside right now? I think a good book's like a good album, right? Like you listen to an album and you either feel different at the end. You feel like you went someplace. You feel like you experienced something. And I think a good book is that. It's a transformative thing. Well, yeah. So most people, when I ask them how many books are by their bedside, say anywhere from one to 10. And they will also add, there's always a book at their bedside, right? They just rotates different books. And why is that? It's because if you're reading a well-written book, you should be... So if you're an author, (laughs) your goal is to really, should be, 
to utilize this opportunity to create intimacy with your reader. If you think about a business card and the nature of a business card, a business card is all about you. It's very impersonal too. Right. It's very impersonal. It's very superficial. And it can't possibly even get into the real wisdom that you have to offer. Now, a book done well not only accomplishes all of that, but it's a portal to intimacy. And we know that because of where people read their books in their most intimate spaces. And you also have probably had the experience where you've read a book and you feel like you know the author in some way. Yeah. I don't know if you know who Chuck Klosterman is. He writes a lot of books on like music and stuff like that. And like his books, like I feel like I know Chuck Klosterman, but I don't know him. But like, I feel like that through his books. And I'm also going to bet that you feel somehow in some mysterious way that he sees you. Yeah, I would agree. Right? I would agree. I would definitely agree. This is really important when you're writing to your reader is write to a reader. Do not write to readers because writing to the readers is like talking at them. It's like Mm -hmm. you're on stage and they're in there listening. And then exactly what happens is the same thing that happens when someone's watching someone on stage, especially when they're talking about themselves. They start doing other things. They start fidgeting and they lose interest and they get distracted. But if they feel like that person is speaking directly to them about them, then they're interested and they feel connected and they feel seen. Now, Mm -hmm. think about this for a second. Think about what Pepsi spends for a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl. You're going to spend like $33 million or something crazy like that just for 30 seconds to flash their logo in a Super Bowl ad, okay? And then I get to the end of the commercial and I don't quite know what they're selling, but we got there. Right? (laughs) Maybe we knew it was Pepsi. Maybe we never find out what the brand was for the Super Bowl ad. But the point is... They will never have that kind of access to the heart and mind of your client Mm -hmm. that you do, that the gift that that person is giving you six hours of their undivided attention in bed, I might add, Mm -hmm. honor it, make it worth it, (laughs) right? Give them a great experience. Make sure that they feel that that was time well spent and that they are richer for it. And I'm telling you, That person will tell other people about you. That's what I was going to say. Like for me, the books I've really connected with, like I think of David Novak's book, Taking People With You, or So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Like those are books I've become an advocate for because I've had a personal connection with them. Yeah, exactly. And then you tell your friends about them. And also like I've had, this has happened to me and it's happened to several of my clients. People will read your book. And reach out to you on your website or call or whatever. And they'll say, hey, I read your book. I really need to work with you. What's Mm -hmm. it going to take? Well, isn't that like every consultant's dream? Like, isn't that the conversation we all want to have all day long? But if you don't treat them with the respect and understanding that if you're not willing to spend a little extra time, and I'm just talking like a few extra months, right, just to really excavate your insight and Use the book writing process as an opportunity, not only to inform your reader, but to learn more about yourself and to learn more about your work and find better ways of communicating the value. Then it literally, if it doesn't 10x your business within the first three years, then something went wrong. Well, Robin, this has been an awesome conversation. We went a lot of directions I did not expect to go, and I feel like this conversation is better for it. So for people listening, if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about what you're doing, where's going to be the best place for our listeners to go? 
You know, for the first time ever, I actually have my book with me for a podcast interview. So I'm going to flash my book. Oh, awesome. There we go. Look, this tells you you're the first one. I always forget to hold it up because the shoe cobbler has no shoes, right? So <laughs> I write a book that tells you increase your credibility, income, and impact on Amazon. But if you want to find me directly, it's robincolucci.com. I also have a podcast, The Author's Corner, where we talk with authors and people who help authors. And so if you're an aspiring author, it's chock full of great advice. And yeah, that's probably, those are the best ways. Awesome. Well, Robin Colucci, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you so much for having me. 